Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes till the sun goes down. Hi, this is Chef Jackson Lamb, your host at Food Chat, where we are all about connecting you with your food. My co-host Greg Bloom is here today, and our guests today are two terrific people from the Food Bank of the Rockies. We've got Hannah Moore, and we've got Colleen. Colleen, I do apologize. I don't want to butcher your name. Please share that with us. Colleen Daskowitz, Perishable Food Sourcing Lead at Food Bank. Very, very good. Thank you so much, and welcome to the studio. Welcome to Food Chat. You know, here we are at Food Chat. It's all about food, and we have interviewed ranchers, farmers, producers, distributors, but... This is the first time we have a nonprofit in the studio, right. and and the work that you do is really tremendous. So let's get started and talk about the Food Bank of the Rockies. How did the Food Bank of the Rockies get started? And explain an overview of how that whole thing works. You know, that's a loaded question. I know we have two guests here. So, um, uh, Colleen, why don't you, why don't we go ahead and we'll start with uh, Hannah. All right. All um, right. Yeah, thank you so much for having us and shining a light on Food Bank of the Rockies. Uh, the Food Bank, we Food Bank of the Rockies started in 1978, and we are the largest hunger relief organization in the Rocky Mountain region. Um, we're across the northern part of Colorado and the entire state of Wyoming. So we partner with over 800 hunger relief partners across that um, territory, and they help us distribute food all across the region. We have four different warehouses, and that the region is about 500,000 square miles, so we cover a lot of space. And we act very much as a distribution center for those hunger relief partners so we distribute to them so they can distribute to their communities um, but we do also distribute dir- directly to clients um, through our programs like our food for kids program uh, mobile pantries our evergreen boxes so our partners will come to our distribution centers in Denver, in Grand Junction, or in Casper, and they will pick up food, or we will distribute directly through our programs. Very good, Hannah. You know, Hannah, I've been in the restaurant industry, hospitality industry for the last 30 years. I've dealt with a lot of food distributors. You're one of the biggest ones out there. You know, <laughs> when I look at, uh, you know, Shamrock, Cisco, uh, um uh, PFC up in uh, in Brighton there. Um, sure, they're the big ones, but you guys are right there with the amount of volume that you're trying to move to those 800 agencies that you're describing. That's fantastic. Very good. Yeah, you know, I see their trucks all over the place, just like you'd see the big food distributors going to restaurants. Trucks all over. I see your trucks all over. And I'm so excited that you're here today. And thank you for coming, Colleen and Hannah, because uh, we have never had a nonprofit, like Chef Jackson said, but we've also never had a food bank in here. And I don't think people really know uh, how, how it works. So thanks for the, the, the lead-in, Hannah, telling us a little bit of how you're, you're set up. But, uh, Colleen, I have a question for you. Like, 
tell us more specifically, like how do the food donations, uh, how does that process work? So over our 40-plus year history, we've been able to establish really good relationships with a lot of the distributors in our area, as, um, as, as Chef mentioned. Um, food manufacturers, distributors, retail stores, even produce growers and farmers and ranchers um, across our service territory. Mm -hmm. So we work with those different groups to identify foods and other essentials that are needed by our communities. So, for example, if a manufacturer overproduces a certain item or it's not selling as well as they thought or for any other reason they have an excess of that item, they reach out to us. We have a huge fleet across our service territory so we can go directly to that manufacturer or distributor or grower um, and pick up those items. And obviously our main focus is food, but we found that other non-food items are also really in demand. So personal care items, hygiene items, household cleaning items, and even things like books, clothes, toys, we do all of that as well to kind of provide a holistic resource for our communities. Um, and it's it's that whole process is really a a win win. Um, we receive wholesome, usable food for our communities. We keep it from being unnecessarily wasted. These manufacturers don't have to waste good product. Um, and one of our big, biggest sources is what we call our grocery rescue program, mm -hmm. which is our hunger relief partners picking up donations from their local grocery stores, bringing it back to their um, facilities and distributing it right in their community. So that's really a great program for us in that that food is being kept in the community. It has a much faster turnaround time, which ensures that it's going to have a higher quality. That's great. You know, I, I saw a documentary about a year ago on how much food waste happens at the retail store, especially with produce. And so I'm glad to hear that there is a way to recapture that food and not just throw it away. And yeah, we all want to eliminate food waste. Go ahead, Hannah. No, up. and part of our job um, as the food sourcing team at Food Bank of the Rockies is to work with those retailers and manufacturers mm -hmm. and be a resource to them to show them how they can prevent waste and wh what they can donate, how they can make sure that it gets to us before it has to get to their dumpsters. Mm -hmm. So we are we act as a resource for them so they understand their own corporate guide donation guidelines and. They understand the food safety qualities that we work with so that they are giving us good, safe, wholesome food. Neat. That's great. Yeah. You know, I've got a son that works for one of the larger retail grocery stores in town. Well, he comes home and he just tells me these stories. You know, produce. Let's just talk produce real quick. The clock is ticking. You know, uh, uh, any grocery store receives bananas, apples, pears. You know, after three weeks, they're compost, you know. And so, and my son, just having grown up with me, what do you mean we can't sell this yet? No, no, this is still good. This is still good. And so uh, they do have a program at his store where, okay, it's not perfect, but it's not gone yet. And it's a special shelf for discounted produce. And so what a clever idea that is. But, um, yeah, I think that the waste on the retail level, you know, they're just trying to move the product out as quickly as they possibly can. Right. And they want to make sure they have enough product there for the people that are coming in the door. But, yeah, it's a balance act between uh, 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 time and temperature with a lot of the products that we bring in. Right, for sure. Cool. Um, I have a question for you, Colleen. Um, you know, uh, maybe both of you could speak to this question if you'd like to, but uh, what, what opportunities for volunteers do you have uh, for people that want to get involved at Food Bank of the Rockies? Yeah, volunteers are enormously critical for our operation. Um, we have 
volunteer opportunities ranging from sorting donations, checking those best by dates and quality, um, picking orders in our warehouse for our hunger relief partners, helping on the agency dock for those pickups, bulk repack um, for Barber, including Barber Beans. Uh, help in the kitchen preparing meals for after school, administrative work, help at mobile pantries. Those are all just a snapshot of volunteer opportunities that we have. So we try to make volunteering accessible to anybody's skill level, anybody's fitness level, physical limitations, anything like that. Um, We can volunteer. We have opportunities for children as young as 12 with adult supervision. Um, And like I said, we can find a fit for most limitations. We have a recurring group of special needs adults who comes in once a week and Mm -hmm. helps with our our donation sorting. And they have been coming for years and have it so down pat that we kind of just, they come in, they start out right off and they do their thing. Um, But yeah, volunteers are really critical. This last year, we had volunteers volunteer over 100,000 hours, which is the equivalent of 48 full-time employees. So obviously a massive injection of resources into our operation. Wow. Absolutely huge. You know, again, I um, we didn't mention this earlier, but I was on the board of directors for the Food Bank of the Rockies for uh, six years. And I've put my time in the warehouse. You know, uh, you have a tremendous program where you'll get 40 employees from the Bank of America or you'll get 50 people coming in from Wells Fargo. And when you're talking about uh, picking orders... Let me just share with our audience what that's all about because, you know, I've been on the team where I was on the box setup team, okay? What does that mean? It means that I have to take about 300 boxes with two other people and we have to snap them open so that we can start putting food in there. And then as we send this uh, box down a conveyor belt, if you will, everybody puts one item in the box. You know, so it might be two things of juice. It might be a thing of uh, cereal. It might be a thing of rice. There's a pasta. There's a there's peanut butter going in there. And when we get to the end, what we have is 300 identical boxes that get distributed in an equitable fashion throughout our, our uh, community. It's a fantastic program. One of the most efficient assembly lines I've ever worked on before. So uh, you do a great job over there. Um, where else do your volunteers come from? I love the fact that you've got some handicapped people that come in as well as corporate people, um, uh, church groups or other civic groups that come in as well. Well, first of all, I really love how you explained the glamour of building boxes. Um, that's amazing. And you make it just sound so fun. And we do. I mean, we have a team that makes volunteering so much fun. Um, so, you know, you explained a couple of groups. And it's really cool that we have an operation that is big enough to host a corporate team of 50 people. Um, and But we also get a lot of individual people coming. We get families. We get schools. We get, like, a lot of high school kids. Um and just anyone you know and it's really fun learning more about our volunteers too and making them a part of our team you know we've been able to really utilize a lot of our volunteers for their expertise you know what they've learned and what they can bring to us so that we can be a better running operation um almost like it's like a form of consulting you know Mm -hmm. and it's really helpful and it's amazing to see what volunteers can do for us that's fantastic um, so the two of you obviously have some great experience in this area. So can you explain what uh, each of you do and share some of your 
background, okay? Um, and how did you land at the Food Bank of the Rockies? I, I want to hear from both of you on this because, Colleen, we haven't heard from you yet. I did get Hannah's story, but go ahead and share with us. Yeah, um, so I'm our perishable food sourcing lead in our sourcing department. I've been at the Food Bank of the Rockies uh, for over five and a half years, so I've seen quite a quite a significant transition in those five years of the way we run our operations, our sort of philosophical focus, the different programs that we start. Um, I studied environmental policy and sociology in college, and so coming out of that, wanted to work for a nonprofit. Um, moved to Denver from Virginia and found this opportunity at the food bank, and it fit really well with sort of my uh, my education in, in sociology and justice issues and sort of channeling that into food justice, which I found is sort of the base for a lot of other um, justice issues that are that are out there. Like if you can't get food justice, like that rolls into housing justice and wage justice and salary and mm-hmm. like all these other sort of things that are impacted by not being able to access food. Very, very good. Excellent. And then, Hannah, um, I know your story, but share a little of that with our audience. Yeah, so my background is food service and hospitality. That's what I got a degree in, and I worked every front of house position you can think of up to manager, and in restaurants, corporate dining, cafes, anything. And I really, I mean, I was motivated by seeing that food is so accessible to some but so inaccessible to others so I and then also seeing food waste and wondering what can be done about it all I wanted to do was like find a way to make food equitable and accessible and I really didn't know how to do that (laughs) until I learned more about the food bank and the role that I'm in and I'm like wow that's kind of what I'm looking for so luckily um, I was able to get in and I worked heavily with our um, with our grocery rescue program to start but uh, now I am our non-perishable food sourcing lead, so I do a lot of purchasing because the food bank really does purchase a lot, you know, as um, as the government programs shift and as donation practices shift, we really do also purchase um, a lot of food, so we need, we really depend on funds a lot for that as well, and that's kind of where I step in and I purchase um, non-perishables, non-foods, like the hygiene and products and household products that Colleen mentioned and things like meat and stuff like that um so that's kind of what I do neat very nice you know you mentioned the government programs and you know quite often we are not aware of what the government is actually really doing behind the scenes for our citizens but uh the snap program rolls into here this is where uh we have uh, the supplemental nutritional Assistance program. Assistance program. And those uh, products are typically distributed through Feeding America, which then rolls those down to local food banks. So um, can you kind of explain how that works? Yeah. So for SNAP, we... um we help provide resources so that people get access to SNAP. They don't necessarily need, they don't need to use that through us because we distribute all food at no cost, but we work closely with the USDA and the Department of Human Services um, for programs like TFAP, which is the Emergency Food Assistance Program, and other programs that, um, like CSFP, which um, I cannot tell you what the acronym is, (laughs) but it helps, it focuses on older adults and we we work with those programs where they will uh give us certain subsidies um for food so that we can get bring food in and distribute at no cost and we don't have to pay for that 
Neat. Hey, when I was on a tour of your facility um, last year, I noticed how intentional everything is. This isn't. I've been to other smaller food banks where it's kind of chaotic. Is a nice way of saying it. There's just a lot going on, but it didn't seem so organized. But your your organization's not that way. It's super intentional. Could, could we, Colleen? Could you speak to that and then and just tell us you know why you're that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, most of it has to do with our scale. So um, as Hannah kind of mentioned before, we have 800 hunger relief partners. We're distributing enough food for 178,000 meals a day, which this last fiscal year was 85 million pounds of food. Wow. Um, so at that level, we have to operate more as a traditional warehouse. So we have a commercial size, you know, loading dock and receiving dock. We have receivers, we have forklifts, we have uh, you know, huge refrigerators and coolers and, and freezers and things like that. Um, if you go into our warehouse, it looks like a huge Costco with the racking and stuff. Right. So at that level, um, with the with the number of people we're serving, with the amount of food that we're doing, with the geographic area that we have and having 50 plus vehicles and trailers in our fleet, we have to kind of operate at that really high level of organization. So um, yeah, the people the people who work in our, Hannah and I are both in our operations department and the pe- other people in our department that we're working with are just extremely highly skilled, operations minded, minded folks. Neat. Yeah, I, I noticed how organized everybody was. Everybody has a job and the place was so clean. Of course, you know, you don't want to see that in a food distributor. But anyway, it was just wonderful to see how what it's like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, that's fantastic. Say, you know, in my um, in my career, I've worked with food banks across the country. And I remember years ago working with the North Broward Food Bank in Fort Lauderdale. Their main demographic that they serve are Cubans and Haitians. Cubans are used to canned food because that's all they can get because of the embargoes going on over the last many years. Haitians like fresh produce. They can't get one group to take the other group's food. So, so in other words, when we are serving different types of demographics, you know, we've got people that have preferences to the food. Um, that's just kind of a big setup. My, my question is, with the current migrant situation in Denver, is that impacting your operation at all? Or is that such a small blip right now that it doesn't really affect the food bank of the Rockies? Oh, that definitely affects us. Um, a couple of years ago, we started a culturally responsive food initiative, and we've worked hard to identify the different cultures and the different communities in our service area, and not only identify who they are, but what they like to eat. And because food is such a staple in culture, um, I mean, holidays are celebrated around food, um, gatherings involve food. Family is food, you know, and so we really focused on finding out how to best serve our community, not just by like giving them what we have access to, but giving them what they need in order to, in order to celebrate their cultures. So we, we identified different foods for communities like the Latinx community, Vietnamese, Vietnamese community, um, the reservations that we serve in Wyoming, um, and we find out what foods make their culture and we try to bring them in and make them accessible. That includes focusing on cultural holidays. You know, I mean, think about Thanksgiving. When you think Thanksgiving, you think turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, cranberry sauce, you know, but Thanksgiving is not the only food-centric holiday. And so we just wrapped up with Navidad, which uh, is celebrated by a lot of Central American Latinx uh, families and a main staple dish for to celebrate that 
um, holiday is tamales. So we provided corn husks and masa and dried chilies to so that families can make not only get tamales, but make them the way that they know how. Um, and then we have Lunar New Year coming up. So we're providing things like dried dates and other dried fruits and banana leaves and pork so that, um, because that is also a very food centric holiday that a lot of Asian communities celebrate. And so we want to make that accessible too. That sounds great. I just love the idea that this speaks to your intentionality that you're not just trying to redistribute food that's been donated, but you're proactively looking ahead for the kind of foods that they want to eat you know, not just what, whatever got donated. So that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, what, what needs, um, I'll ask you each of this question. I'll ask Hannah you first, but what, what needs uh, does Food Bank of the Rockies have here in 2023? Would you say? But I always tell people we need food, we need funds, we need time, you know, by donating your time, that's volunteering. Colleen already talked about how important volunteering is, you know, we already covered that. And by donating, um, but if you have the ability to donate money, we definitely encourage that. You know, we are able to stretch a dollar really far, um, whereas, you know, you buy a can of food from the grocery store for a dollar and we can stretch that and get a whole case for a lot less per can. Because right. um, we have, I mean, we have a huge distribution center, uh, several, and we can order by the pallet, by the truckload, which helps us um reduce the costs and we can stretch it further and then obviously food you know we can benefit from donated food left and right so those are those are our biggest needs and um it's great because the ways you know if you don't have money you can donate your time you can donate your food and if you don't have time donate money so there's there's all different options that we can take great foods funds and time right food funds and time yeah colleen do you have anything to add um, sort of an internal thing that we're focusing on is, as Hannah mentioned earlier, donation and manufacturing practices are shifting, mm. um, which is really kind of changing up the landscape of what, what foods are available for donation. So one of our internal focuses is growing that grocery rescue program that I mentioned earlier. It accounts for about a third of the food that we distribute. So it's a huge part of our distribution plan and the, amount, and the food that we're getting out. So um, we've been able to hire a few new staff to really focus on that, getting into the stores, Getting, age, getting our Hunger Relief partners some training to make sure that we're capturing all the food out there that's available to donate. Very good. You know, Colleen, Hannah, thank you so much. This has been so informative. Um, I wanted to bring up the Boys and Girls Club of Denver. You know, here's a partnership with the Food Bank of the Rockies and the, I believe the Denver Broncos. And, um, again, this is a program where um, – this food program, we're delivering hot prepared food to 25 different boys and girls clubs across the metro area. So, you know, with that kind of distribution, you know, these young kids get out of school. Do we have dinner at home? No, but let's go down to the club and we can get a hot meal. We can get tacos. We can get chili. We can get, you know, mac and cheese. Uh, and I've been in the kitchen helping prep those foods. So you have a fantastic facility down there that's capable of putting out about 2,500 meals a day. That's fantastic. What is the time frame on that? Is that a Monday through Friday program when we're trying to uh, feed those kids at those boys and girls clubs? 
Yeah, so out of our kitchen, it, it is. Um, it's part of our Food for Kids program, and that and the kitchen itself we call our Kids Cafe, and that's where all the production is. And they make fresh meals, they package uh, shelf-stable meals so that it's accessible um, no matter what your storage and cooler capacity is. And then we also have a totes program where we will provide bags that kids can bring home on the weekends so that they have access to food on the weekends as well. As part of uh, the funding for it, through the school year, it's CACFP, which is a government program. Um, and then in the summer, it's SFSP. The only difference is SFSP is summer, while the other one is during the school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're able to help provide during summer months when school isn't happening as well. And those um, after-school programs are a little different, but, I mean, kids are still hungry in the summer. <laughs> Colleen, you had mentioned uh, when you were talking to us about your background and one of the things that's so important to you, it just ties into the mission at the Food Bank of the Rockies, but you mentioned a word called food dignity. And I'm not sure that our listeners exactly know what that means. They might have heard that word before or not. So could you kind of speak to that word and define it and kind of just expand it a little bit? Yeah, so food dignity for us is kind of as Hannah referred to with the Culture Responsive Food Initiative, that people can access the foods that they want. Mm. Um, so part of that looks like, as Hannah mentioned, our intentionally purchase our, our, our intentional purchases of culture-responsive food for mm. holidays or just generally throughout the year for our different communities. Um, it also looks like people being able to choose the foods that they get. So instead of just being handed a bag of food that's been picked by someone else, m- many of our pantries are set up as mini grocery stores where mm-hmm. individuals can go in, there's shelves of food available, and they can pick and choose what they like. And that both ensures th- both ensures um, their food dignity in terms of even though they are having to access this resource, there's no reason that they should have a more limited selection or more... Um, a more, yeah, a more limited selection than, than other people. Um, and it also reduces our food waste. If you get handed some food that you are unfamiliar with or don't know what to do with or don't like, you know, that food's more likely to go to waste. Whereas if people are selecting their individual items, it's going to be exactly what they want. They're going to know how to prepare it. Um, we make sure that there's a really good mix of nutritious food with also, you know, the full scale availability that you'll have in any grocery store. Neat. Thanks for explaining that. Very good. You know, uh, in closing, so... When we look at produce, we look at uh, all types of food. We've got canned, we've got frozen, we've got fresh. Do you do a lot of frozen foods or primarily produce and uh, and uh, shelf stable? We we do it all. Um, we have a we have a large freezer and cool refrigerator as well as dry space. So we take in anything we can. Um, so. I mean, the freezer is needed for meat, you know, and we, while we, our goal is to become heavily, like our, sorry, our goal is to distribute mostly perishable. And we need that by having a way to store and distribute meat and dairy and fruit and and produce. So um, that freezer is essential for that frozen product. Sure. We need that protein out there. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> very, most, very good. That's our most in-demand item is protein. Oh, absolutely. And again, I go back to my son with uh, working for the large grocery store. You know, a lot of times, you know, just so our uh, our listeners know, we see an expiration date on a package of meat. 
That doesn't get thrown away. That goes into the freezer. And so that is captured before the expiration date and then uh, repurposed usually through Food Bank of the Rockies. So congratulations on such a great food distribution system. We thank you both for coming in today. Hannah, Colleen, thanks for coming on the show. And we just enjoyed our talk with you. And uh, we wish you well in 2023. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Today's show is brought to you by Food Bank of the Rockies. Food Bank of the Rockies works every day to serve communities across Colorado and Wyoming and meet their mission, igniting the power of community to nourish people facing hunger. If you're interested in learning more, go to foodbankoftherockies.org to learn more about their impact and ways you can help contribute to their mission. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring that turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up. Shake money. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night. Raising a son, raising a daughter. They gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.